We're uh, so this is week four now. I feel like we right? need a radio name, huh? Like a radio name. Uh, anyway. what would you give it? Shawnee Poo. Shawnee Poo and the <clears throat> Knuckleheads. The so this is week four of our distorted series, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Sean, um, and we are going to go through some of the questions that we received from this past weekend's uh, sermon on the gospel and its truthfulness. So. Um, thank you, Pastor Sean, for thank you for preaching. Being it's a great here. sermon. Yeah. The so all these questions. Uh, let me see. Take your time. Yeah, I'm pulling it up. Okay, I probably should have pulled that up before we started. Hey, so here's question one. Are you going to answer all these questions for me? Yeah, I didn't preach the sermon, so is that going to be your you. answer to all the questions? I didn't preach it. I didn't. Yeah, I agree. The views yeah. shared by Joey Thomas that are was not dumb. necessarily the views of it. <laughs> uh, so the first question is, Joey said we now have the ability to keep the law. Does this mean that we can be perfect? And if we aren't, does that mean we do not have the Holy Spirit? Um, so whenever I, like I should ask the questions this week. It's kind of, do you want to ask the question? Mm, sure. I'm... You know how to use a smartphone? <laughs> You're so bad. <laughs> He's putting yeah. his reading glasses on right yeah. now. Okay. The, um, All right, there you go. There's your question. There it is. The, so um, when we become Christians, we get a deposit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's uh, Ephesians 1 stuff, which I'll actually reference a couple of times as we answer the question here, but uh, or the various questions. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so when the gospel captures us, we get a deposit of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And the role of the law, what I was saying in the sermon yesterday, um, in the life of a believer is that now we do have the ability to keep it. And so I think I've, uh, you and I have talked about this before, where it seems to be that we're kind of back at this Garden of Eden type thing because we, um, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve um, weren't in bondage to sin. They uh, had the ability to obey God or to disobey God, and they chose to disobey God, and since then we've inherited a sin nature. Um, We're dead in our trespasses, according to Ephesians 2, which I referenced yesterday in the sermon. And So the only thing that we have the capability of doing is... um, is disobeying the Lord. We 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 can't save ourselves in loving our sin. Yeah, mm-hmm. lo- loving, cherishing our sin, and uh, and then God in His grace and His mercy snatches us out of that through the personal work of Christ, and He deposits His Holy Spirit in us. And so now we have the capacity to obey or disobey. And so it's the the old man is kind of at war with the the new man, um, which I think the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven we talked about this last week when I was with Pastor Andrew, but I think really is the mark of spiritual maturity the apostle paul recognizes that he's um the own corruption of his heart he's more and more aware of the corruption in in his heart as he grows in his walk with the lord um and and he's more and more aware of his need for a savior and he leans into the fact uh, romans 8 1 that there's no condemnation for those that are in christ jesus like the he recognizes that war that's now going on where prior to the holy spirit living in us there was no war we were dead we loved our deadness and we were content in that position and so now because the holy spirit we have the capacity to look at the moral law and to be obedient um 
because of an overflow of our gratitude for the, right. the gospel. That but does God's that mean prayer. we can be perfect? No. Right. Not this side of eternity. Right. So yeah. we'll answer that. Yeah. What's the tension we live between? Yeah, it really is the now and the not yet piece right. is the tension that we live in. And right. so we're First being... John 1 tells us that every if you say you don't have sin, you call God a liar. Yeah. Yep, so you weren't you weren't saying that we had, we we could be perfect. No, we just now have the ability to keep nope. the law because of the Holy Spirit. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I, and I also think you know it's easy to confuse justification, sanctification, and glorification. Yeah, and, and so we are in this process of sanctification or being made holy or Christ-like, and so it is a process. But the end is so assured that glorification is such a sure thing that Paul even speaks the idea that we're seated in the heavenlies now because this sanctification process is going to be finished yeah. in glorification. So Paul even sometimes talks about us as being perfected, even though we're not. Yeah. You know, but but we'll, it, the, the future is so assured in Christ yeah. that he speaks almost in a present way. Yep. You know, so. Yeah. Anyway. Great. You want any more you want to say about that? Uh, nope. I think that covers it. All right. Number two. Is it biblical? Joey mentioned that the church he grew up in distorted unintentionally the gospel. If they had been asked if they were teach, what, what they were teaching was biblical, wouldn't they have probably said it was? So how do we know if our interpretation is accurate? How do we know we're right? And mm-hmm. you're able to call out maybe other the church you grew up in, very similar church I grew up in. Honestly, yeah. So. Um, I think what we have to be willing to do is sub- submit our minds and our thinking to the authority of the Scripture and, and allow that to inform our belief system. Right. And I think that uh, what we default to so easily is we, we come to the Scriptures with a certain lens already or a predisposition toward a, a certain worldview and uh, and I think that that's what my church in particular struggled with. And I, I don't think that's unique to my church. But um, when things are attached to the gospel, uh, it ceases to be the gospel. And so uh, my, my church had the habit of uh, attaching a lot of things, especially that you see in the South. Um, the, the, the place that I grew up in is, is very much about uh, the appearance of, of, of things, um, and it, it, as long as things seemed okay on the outside, um, matters of the heart weren't weren't discussed. We didn't want to get too deep into the messiness of people's lives. And so as long as you could say the right things and you were in church on Sunday morning and you wore your best suit on Sunday morning and you stayed away from alcohol and you, you stayed away from cigarettes and yeah, you didn't have certain vices, you know, um, I, you were okay. Um, and you're, uh, and, and those were the marks of a true believer for those things to be okay, if that makes sense. And so there, there were all these external things that were connected to this is what makes a good Christian man or a good Christian woman and matters of the heart were never dealt with. And so let me ask you, I'm going to ask a follow up question because I actually declared churches that celebrated sin to be righteous, to not be churches. So may, this isn't the question asked, but maybe it's a follow up. How, how do we know when a, a church ceases to be a church? What are the marks of a tr- genuine church? Because there's a lot of churches running around with, you know, they're calling themselves churches, yeah. and uh, you and I might say, no, that's not a church. Yeah, I think I'll if let you, you start. yeah, I, I think it's for me, it's there's 
a few different things. One is when you attach an adjective to the gospel, uh, you cease to be a church. So you have prosperity gospel churches that boast of 30,000 members in their churches that um, that the extent of their message is this is your best life now is is right here. And so I think when you, when you start attaching adjectives, uh, prosperity gospel, social gospel, that type of stuff, it ceases to, you cease to be a, you're, you're, you're not a Christian um, church the way the Bible defines I would a say Christian any, church. I would say any improper understanding of the gospel, I think you define it simply and accurately. Mm-hmm. So if you distort the person work of Christ, then you not understand the gospel, yeah. so then you cease to be a church. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly attaching adjectives to the gospel. Yeah. Um, I think when you don't, when you, the you know, one of the distortions we're talking about is you see, and I didn't give this as an example, but you see the Westboro Baptist Church that are picketing funerals of, of fallen soldiers, and their their message is full of hate. There's no redemption in their message whatsoever. They're just preaching condemnation and seem to find joy in preaching condemnation on, on people. Um, that's a, another extreme of this is not a, it's very important for people to understand that these are not Christian people and they're not, they're not presenting a Christian message or a Christian worldview. And I think it's important for us to have clarity on that. You know, I was using the word crisp yesterday and, and I think the reason why we need to be crisp and we need to have clarity and we need to be um, clear about what's, uh, what the true gospel is versus what the false gospel is, what a true church is versus what a counterfeit church is, is because the broader culture um, doesn't distinguish between a true church and a false church, a true gospel and a false gospel. They don't distinguish from it, and they don't have the capacity to distinguish it because uh, they don't know the Word of God, they don't have discernment, and so it's up to us as believers to bring clarity to that. And that's why I think believers need to, it's not, it's not being judgy or or mean. It's about bringing clarity to this is what the Bible teaches. And this is not what the Bible teaches. And we don't want, um, to, to be lumped in with this group over here because this group is distorting something that we cherish uh, and that, and that we're called to be good stewards of, um, so I, I think it's important to recognize the distortions and to call those distortions out because when we do that, we're, we're really uh, being heralds of the true gospel by doing that, if that makes sense. Okay. Does that answer your question? Some of it, yep. Well, that's another question for another day, too. That, um, we'll have to unpack that on another podcast, maybe. All right, ready? Number three, Joey said, God poured out all his wrath on Jesus. Does that mean there is no more wrath of God? Uh, what about the unbeliever? Is there still wrath? That's a good question. Yeah, great question. There, there's no more wrath for the believer, is is what I was saying. Right. And so God poured every ounce of his wrath out for the sins of the believer on Jesus Christ, past sins, present sins, future sins. And so Christ died for every sin that you and I would ever commit before we were even born. Um, and so that that's what I meant by that statement. Right. right. Yeah. I don't think we need to go any further. Okay, so there's one question missing here that on your, your smartphone. It could be that I don't know how to use the smartphone. That, that's probably uh, it. Is it this one, though, too? Is there was one... I think these two tie in. This is the one, this is the one I was looking for. I think these two tie in together. Um, so the question four is, how does one know if they are one of God's elect... 
uh, and then you said, I, I'm going to bring these two together for some for time's sake. Did Jesus die only for those who would be saved? You used the word the church. It was said in the sermon, Jesus died for the sins of the church. And so how does one know if they're one of the elect, and did Jesus die only for the sins of the church? Yeah, um, so some of it is our view of God, right? So um, God's not going to put a desire in a person to want to be saved and then not save them. That That's not the way that God operates. Um, so we, we need to remember our position before the Lord prior to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit intervening in our lives, our position is one of we're in direct opposition toward God and we love our opposition toward God and we hate God and we're running a hundred miles an hour in the opposite direction because we cherish our sin. That's our position before God. Um, If we desire to be saved, it's only because God put that desire in our hearts. Otherwise there's no way that it could be there. Um, So, to the person asking, how do I know if I'm elect? It really is, man, are you repenting of sin? Are you, are you trusting in, in your savior? Because the, that's a, that's a strong indicator that the Lord is, is doing a work in your life. Um, and so that's how I would answer that first question. The the second part of the question that we got in a tear off was, um, I said that, that Christ died for the sins of the church. And, and I'm glad that that was picked up on because I, I'm, was intentional about saying it that that way and um and 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 that's what i wholeheartedly believe is everybody that christ died for god will save um and so uh and so god god's ordained the ends and he's ordained the means now because god is going to save everybody he intends to save that doesn't negate our responsibility which you to were clear on share which yeah which i was clear on in this mm-hmm. in, in the sermon which is why i ended it with that that spurgeon quote right. um, about how they're they're friends that god is absolutely sovereign over salvation and um we're to call all men to repent and believe the gospel uh, it's not it's not our role to try to distinguish who's God's elect and who's not God's elect. That's none of our business. That's, that's, that's God's business. But, um, to, you, you, you only have one of two options. You either believe that Jesus died for the sins of the church and that God's going to save everybody he intends to save, or you believe that Jesus died for the world and you're a universalist, and everybody goes to heaven. Or I guess, and there's a third option, Jesus died for the world, but God isn't powerful enough to save everybody he wants to right. save. Those are your your options. Right. And, uh, and I believe that the Great Commission is going to save everybody God has determined to save. Right. And uh, well, what you and I have talked about offline is... Uh, unless you're a universalist and everybody gets into heaven, regardless yeah. of what they do or believe, every most conservatives limit the atonement of God, the um, the efficiency, maybe is the yeah. word of the atonement of God through. Yeah. Yeah, or you're yeah. a universalist. So I had, a professor, I, yeah. I had a professor in seminary said the the death of Christ was sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world because he's big enough, but it is efficient to God's elect. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I always really like that phrase. And so you, you phrased it a little different in the sermon with Jesus died for the sins of the church. Yeah. It's yeah. similar. I mean, it's a yeah. similar thing. I thought, I thought it was well yeah. said uh, yeah. because at Coastal we're not universalists. You know, yeah. We believe some have eternal life and some have eternal punishment. And yeah. So, 
And I know we could get, I mean, this would send us into a, a whole nother conversation, but there's certainly benefits for the whole world do because of Christ's death. That's common, common grace. Right. And, and, uh, but, but it's not salvific for every single person in the, in the world. Right. Um, and so, which I think lends it to, so we can get hung up in the doctrine of it, but I think the final question is really the so what. I mean, if that's what we believe, then what's our what's our job uh, as believers? What has the Lord left us here to do, and why yeah. should we be so passionate for this last question? And and so Joey used the phrase "shame on us," uh, and then it was in regard to this: hasn't God removed all our shame? Uh, is this a good use of language related to the believer? So. Um, Joey talked about in this. Uh, you said shame on us. In in, we can sometimes get so involved in our local church and so surround ourselves only with other believers that we don't know any unbelievers. And I think that was in that context. Yeah. You said shame on us. Yep. You know we're not in the community, having some relational connection with unbelievers. So the question was one about shame. You know, is that shame something that should should still be a part of a Christian life? And then I would like to take it a second way. Talk, second part of this and talk a little bit about our purpose, uh, which is to fulfill the Great Commission. So why don't you start answering the question, shame, should it, can a Christian still have shame? Hasn't God in Christ removed our shame? Yeah, I, so I, I think that shame, so we need to distinguish between this this guilt and shame that the enemy can, can use to um, make us live this defeated lifestyle. Um, and, and so... It, to, to wallow in this um, this self-pity uh, it isn't godly, and it isn't profitable for the Christian. And so that's where you, we would lean into Rome, Rome, the Romans 8-1 piece of it. Uh, but shame, the way that I was using it, um, is, uh, I think, an ingredient of repentance that's rooted in various passages, Ezekiel 43.10, Ezra 9.6, Luke 15.21, um, and actually one of my uh, favorite favorite uh, Puritans, Thomas Watson, has a great book called The Doctrine of Repentance, and one of the ingredients, he gives six um, ingredients for, for authentic repentance, so that as we're repenting, we can evaluate, man, is... Uh, what's the motive of my repentance? And I, and I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. What's the motive of my repentance? Is it a godly reason I'm repenting? But ingredient four is shame for sin, and, and that's the way that I meant it. Um, it, it we, should, um, we should have shame for sin, and, and, uh, and it is a sin of omission to not put ourselves in a position to be obedient to the Great Commission. Uh, and that uh, rhymed, I realized, after I said yeah. it. That was pretty neat, right? You're a poet. Too. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, that shame should move us toward repenting of not putting ourselves in a position to evangelize lost people for the glory of God and because we love lost people. Um, and it, that's one of the things I love about the, the doctrine of election is that God invites us as Christians to to fulfill and to be the means by which we proclaim to the nations that Jesus is king and and I believe that it's going to work that it's going to be successful right. and, and but yeah a lot of times it, people get frustrated the doctrine of election it gives me ho- like there are people 
in our community that God is going to save because yeah. he, that's what he does. Yeah. And we get to be a part of that. We get so to be a part of it. So it's not like we're out there sowing the seeds of the word of God through love and relationships and, and even talking about the gospel specifically. And like you said, it's, it's not that it's not going, it will work yeah. because God is at work in the hearts of his people Yeah, that he, you know, he's set aside for redemption and yeah. to display his glory through redemption. Yep. Um, so absolutely it's going to be successful and that's encouraging to me Yeah, um, and to you too. Yep. For let, sure. Let me ask you this. So, yep. you know, I was at, well, and this may be a statement and then, but I guess I'll start with a question. How, how do you how do you make sure there's time in your calendar for unbelievers? How do you how do, I, you do that? I have to be intentional about blocking it out. And yeah. so um, there's um, there's people that are in my life that that are in um, Braden's life, my wife, uh, that we make sure that we're constantly touching in some way that we're yeah. we're talking to them on the phone we're uh, going out for coffee or lunch or we'll have them over or um or e- even if we're just texting back and forth we're just trying to make sure that we stay in touch and we're trying to make sure that we um that they know that we love them uh, that we see them as people and and not just as a project but it, it really is um, it, is, it can sound like a grind, but I, I do think you have to have discipline to put yourself out there um, with with people that you know aren't believers and, and don't share a biblical worldview and, and be okay with um, there may be some awkward conversations that come up. Brayden and I recently had a conversation with um, this um this lady that that uh, we keep in touch with, who who's um, th- thinks Christianity silly, and she was upset. The New York Times posted this article or published this article about um, apparently there's this island off the the coast of New York that um, the government takes um, these uh, bodies that aren't claimed, these dead bodies that aren't claimed. And they um, ship them to this island and they bury them. They dig out this trough and they throw the bodies in the trough and they bury them. And they're in unmarked graves. And so if you have a relative that died and you were not connected with them, there's no way for you to ever find them. And she was uh, she was really upset about this. Uh, And rightfully so, because I believe that, you know, you, you taught us a few weeks ago, you were reminding us that we're all created in the image of God. And so for me, that really is a, a tragedy that that happens to people that are creating the image of God, that they would be treated in that way. But I didn't understand why she was upset about that since she thinks that Christianity is silly. And so when she finished telling me that, um, I, I asked her why she was upset about that. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And, and I told her, I think she's upset about that because she knows that he, people are unique and people are unique because they're creating the image of God. And it, and it, open this opportunity for me to talk about the gospel with her and you know and it, and it didn't turn into a conversion but it's turned into an ongoing conversation that she wants to continue to have um, because she feels like she's in a safe place to be able to wrestle with that stuff and and so it really is important That's for great. us to have those relationships and make time for those relationships and be okay with you know maybe you'll get asked questions that you don't know the answer to be okay with saying i don't know but let's learn together or you know there's nothing for us to be scared of because we have the facts on our side 
We just need to labor with people and be in it for the long haul and love them and persevere with them. Well, the other reason I've never been scared of questions is, again, I'd, it's not my witty answer that saves yeah, people. Absolutely. God saves his people. And yep. so, um, and one of, the, one of the things that came to my mind when you made this point yesterday about the sin of omission and it was sitting just sitting in the audience and listening it made i went to the idea of one of the reasons i try not to crowd people's calendars at coastal i try to say hey i actually don't want us you know we we are to be making disciples we are to be fulfilling the one another command so that does mean we have to have some one another time we, but you know i the vision is develop authentic knowledge of Christ through connect, grow, and serve. So I want you to be in corporate worship. I want you to be in a small group ministry. Uh, and I want you to find a ministry and mission of Coastal. And then after that, you know, I try to keep the calendar really clear. And it's hard. It's a fight because as we grow, there's more and more people go, hey, Pastor, I have this idea. Hey, Pastor, I have this idea. And they're not bad ideas. Um, and so we ha- it, it, it's really, well, I call it the fight for simplicity, yeah. which is getting more and more difficult. And I'm probably letting more things on the calendar sometimes that make, give me pause. Because if we fill our calendars with church stuff, there's no place on our calendars for getting in our communities yeah. and hanging out with people, lost people. And um, I know for me and my wife, it, it always kind of centered around getting to know people didn't go to church had centered around the things we were kind of doing anyway. Like yeah. my kids were involved in certain hobbies or we had a hobby. And in that you carve out those evenings to spend in your community yeah. and just do life with them and then, yeah. and, and, you know, pray for those opportunities to talk about specifically about spiritual things. And, um, so, so at coastal, you know, small group leaders, you'll notice, I mean, I, I'm really fight to keep the calendar as free as possible. And that is so that you can, um, be in your world, you know, school yeah. events and, and community events and, and, you know, be build relationships with people that don't have a church and don't know the Lord and, and, Invite uh, if that's your comfort level, but hopefully even op- have the opportunity to sh- specifically share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, yeah, um, even so. being willing to serve them, you know, I, that, yeah. that's the thing. I think where the church has gotten messed up on in the past is I think people outside the church, whatever their worldview is, but they're not Christians. They just see us as we we just want to make our agenda known, or we you know, we want to win the argument, or we want to. Um, we have all these little, for lack of a better word, idols that are preventing us from from having this genuine relationship with a non-believer. That if we can just push that to the side so that we can talk about what matters, um, I think that helps too. And, and I do think, you know, I was saying that there could be people in the congregation that don't know lost people. and um, But I think the majority of people know people that aren't Christians. Right. We just need to make time for those people yeah. and so we uh, we could all point to i'm sure family members that we have that aren't believers like what are we doing to be in relationship with these people um, i think you know one of the things we've done in my family too with the holidays coming up it's a great opportunity to make use of some natural places yeah. to share the gospel you know in my family we have some lost family members and before the thanksgiving meal we give time to think give thanks we thank god for the gospel take a teaching time yeah. and then pray christmas time be a great time to share the god the incarnation of christ and why it's important yeah. in a brief time before you open the gifts or something i mean there's a lot yeah. of ways to do that your workplace i mean see yourself as not only getting your job done and making a living for your family which are all good things but also an opportunity to be on mission to build relationships with your coworkers, and on and on the list goes so. yeah for sure and i know there's some people you know uh, for instance there may be teachers out there their hands are bound with what they can and can't talk about at work but i you know i got a, i've told you about this before i got a buddy of mine who teaches at a, a university and he um 
there's things he can't talk about there, but there, there's things that he does um, with the students outside of the class. Hey, I'll, I'll extra credit. If you want to come over to my house, you can ask me any 10 questions you want to ask me. And, uh, and that gives him this opportunity to evangelize these students. And like, there's, there's certain things that even in the workplace, I think you can, I mean, you can do that even though you're maybe restricted for those eight hours that you're there, there's, there's stuff you can do outside of that that you can, um, be intentional about. So, all right, we've been over our time. Great Q and a and great sermon this week, pastor Joey. And thank uh, you. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. Small group leaders for the questions. Keep them coming. Hope you're, uh, this is benefiting your, your group and your growth and, uh, spiritual walk. So great having you.